Hi, I'm Marie. And I'm Emily. And we're registered dietitians who love to look at the research when it comes to all things diets and supplements. With years of working with professional and collegiate athletes, we've seen it all, and we're here to set the record straight. On this podcast, we break down popular diets and supplements to let you know what's legit and what's BS. rds versus bs podcasts we are here today interesting we've had an interesting production schedule this week (laughs) between like us getting busy and emily getting sick and then we had a uh guest on and then another guest and then we had to reschedule with that guest so it's been kind of a mess but um we're pivoting and we're here today to bring you a topic we weren't expecting to do but we did get a listener submission on it and it is uh, a pretty popular company so we want to talk about it so today we're going to start our episode talking about advocare and then we are going to end with a super awesome interview that we have already recorded with Liam Demenjic. He is an ultra marathon runner and he is going to tell us all about the nutrition world within ultra marathon running. Probably my favorite part of the entire interview with him. I didn't really know that there was a lingo of like ultra runners versus road runners. So a road runner would be, you know, typically somebody (laughs) doing like half marathons and marathons. And he kept referring to marathons as a short distance event. And I was like, all right, man. (laughs) When you're running a hundred miles, 26 is like your warm up. I I can't even imagine. Yeah. And it was so funny because after we, we ended the interview and he's, you'll, you guys will listen. He's such a nice guy, but we entered the interview and he was like, Oh, Emily, are you still doing halves? And Maria, I heard you did a, a marathon. It was kind of like, Oh, you, like, that's so sweet. Like, yeah. good job. You too. <laughs> I was like, Oh man. <laughs> I know. I know. He's very encouraging and nice about it, but you can't help but compare yourself and <laughs> yeah. what you can do <laughs> to what he does. It's really amazing. Yeah. So it's a great interview. Definitely make sure you stick around and listen to that. But before we get into everything, as always, if you like our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and a five-star rating on Spotify. And please continue to send us any topic suggestions by DMing us on our Instagram at rds underscore vs underscore bs underscore pod or our contact page on our website, rdsversusbs.com. And if you're interested in getting healthier, if you've been a listener for a while and you're just wondering what it would be like to get one-on-one counseling, we are both accepting one-on-one clients. You can learn more by DMing us on our Instagram or under the work with us tab on rdsversusbs.com. All right. So typically we start with shit at the grocery store. We actually asked Liam for a shit at the grocery store, which he provided. So once again, stick around to the second half of this episode and you will hear what a ultra runner sees in some of the running shops and think is pretty funny marketing. So starting off this episode, Advocare. So, well, okay. So specifically we got a question about Advocare Spark, which is their energy drink kind question mark. It's like, not really, though. <laughs> it's like meant to be a pre-workout, I think. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to it. Um, <laughs> but I saw Advocare and I was like, oh my gosh, because I think we both know stories related to professional athletes with this company. And we're actually going to start this episode by talking about what's been going on with Advocare recently, because it's kind of crazy. And then we'll go through some of the products. So Advocare was an MLM, our favorite legal pyramid schemes. 
it actually has gone into a significant amount of trouble with the FTC. There was a huge case brought against it in 2019. We will talk about that here in a second. Um, but prior to all this happening, it was an MLM, meaning that you've got independent consultants, people that are distributing it, people that are making money from selling it, what they got in trouble for, people making the majority of their money, if they made money at all, from recruiting and getting commissions off of recruiting, but not off of selling product to customer. But two big things I remember about Advocare is, one, I remember that Drew Brees used to sell this shit. Oh, no, really? Yeah. I like him, too. I do, too. And I was always so annoyed that he sold it. <laughs> That's a bummer. I, I mean, I don't really think he was, like, selling it actively. It's not like he was going He's on his Instagram. Part of the pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think he was part of the pyramid, but I think he was, like, in a special celebrity part of the pyramid. Okay, to be fair, I want, for legal reasons, I want to clarify, I don't actually know if he was a distributor, but I know he's oh, no. associated with it. <laughs> well, I just don't know, because I also know that, like, Herbalife does this, too. They can, like, have people promote it on their behalf that don't actually sell it, like professional athletes. Right. Um, cause we'll get to it here in a second. Like Advocare actually has a, a huge sports nutrition line, which is kind of annoying. We were talking, we were chatting before we started recording about in 2008, there famously was an Olympic swimmer. Her name was Jessica Hardy, who tested positive for, um, it was a breathing enhancer and she swore up and down. She'd never heard of the substance before. She had, wasn't taking anything, blah, blah, blah. All come to find out she had been taking a, Advocare supplement that had arginine in it. Well, it was called Arginine Extreme. She'd gotten it from Advocare and it had a banned substance in it. And she had no idea. And so she was banned from the 2008 Olympics. And I remember, like, so for those that don't know, I was a swimmer uh, my whole life, swam in college. And this was the year, the Olympics before I went to college. And I just remember this being a massive deal. Can you imagine? not going to the Olympics because of fucking Advocare. I can't imagine. I can't even imagine coming to terms with that reality. And this is like, I know we say this so much, but this is why we are, are always harping on, if you take a supplement, make sure it's third-party tested. Because back in 2008, Advocare was, none, none of their supplements were third-party tested. So this didn't get caught. If they had been then she would have known exactly what she's putting in her body. And that's the sad part is even though it was totally inadvertent, it's not like she was trying to take this breathing enhancer that was banned, but that doesn't matter. Like if it's in your body, it's your responsibility. And just in case like y'all are either new to listening or maybe we haven't like really clarified exactly what we mean by this. When we say third-party tested, what we're talking about is is there a third party? There's two typically that we recommend. Uh, one is NSF for sport and the other one is informed choice. Third, I guess, would be for vitamins and minerals. It's called USP. Basically, those are third party entities that will come in and make sure that what is listed on the supplements fact panel is in fact what is inside the supplement. If you don't have that, there is no oversight in supplement production and what's like actually going in. So the example I always give the guys that I work with is I can go into my garage, sweep up a bunch of garage lint, put it in a <laughs> capsule and sell it to you for as a fat burner. And there's no regulating body that's going to come through and make sure that I am doing things correctly. Like I could put that product on the market basically. 
Like think about next time you want to buy a supplement, think about Marie sweeping crap into a pile and putting it into a pill <laughs> like that. It's literally what could happen. It's crazy out there. And interestingly enough, this happened in 2008. So gosh, it was a while ago now. Their products now are informed choice. So they're third party tested. So they at least like Advocare is interesting in that they do learn from their mistakes. Like this mistake with the Olympic swimmer. We'll get into their MLM. I've never heard of or looked into a company that was an MLM and got caught and then continued to be a company while not being an MLM anymore. Should we get into that now? Yeah, let's do it. They got in trouble because about 72% of distributors in Advocare did not earn any compensation from working in Advocare, right? And then another 18% earned up to $250 and then 6% earned between $250 and $1,000, This is per year, correct? Per year. We're close to 100% here and no one's making more than $1,000. So basically, I don't even know how to explain this. Maybe I should just let you do it. since You're good at the the pyramid scheme stuff. Yeah. So basically, they came under fire because we I like to call it a legal pyramid scheme. Basically, to be an MLM, multi-level marketing, you have to sell a product. Um, You can still organize in the pyramid structure. But as long as you are selling product, for whatever reason, it's deemed legal. What happened was people were making money off of bringing new people into the company. So like recruiting. So let's because you have to buy into these companies. So let's say, for example, and this is not the numbers for Advocare. I don't have them in front of me. But like, let's say, for example, the MLM has a $500 buy in. If I recruit somebody An illegal practice would be I would get compensation for their buy-in or I would get a commission off of their buy-in. So if it's like $500 to buy in and I get a pretty big chunk of that, I'm just going to want to have a bunch of people underneath me, right? Like I want to build a team, build a downline, whatever verbiage you want to use. Every time somebody signs on, I make a pretty hefty chunk of change. Whereas if I'm just trying to shill the product for, you know, like 20, 30, 40 bucks for whatever it is, and then I'm only making maybe like 10% of that as revenue, well, that's not a huge profit stream for me, right? Like I make a lot more money by recruiting people. So it's way more profitable for somebody to make money off of people signing on if they get a a commission off of people signing on than it is to like sell the actual product. So that's where a lot of these have had to restructure lately. Like Herbalife got in, or not Herbalife, Beachbody got in trouble for this not too long ago. And basically what they do, what most companies do when they get in trouble for this, LuLaRoe also got in trouble for this, is the, the distributors really don't get commission off of recruiting anymore. Or if they do, it's a really small percentage. They're supposed to be making the majority of their money off of sales. Well, the problem is these products never sell themselves, even though they will claim that they do. Like they're always bullshit. They're always way overpriced. And so nobody really wants to buy them outside outside of like the company, right? So now people who were making pretty solid money just by get signing people up are now like, oh shit, now I gotta sell this product and nobody wants it. <laughs> but uh, so that's what that's what most companies have restructured to is basically taking away like that sign-on bonus for the recruiter. Um, but what Advocare 
chose to do, and I don't know if this was required from the FTC or if Advocator just decided to restructure this way, but they basically took away the entire MLM structure and they fired, I read an article somewhere that said they fired 100,000 distributors. Whoa. They had that many to start with. That's amazing. Yeah. So they are now like, you can go to their website and you can buy straight off the website. Like I could go buy an AdvoCare product, whereas before I would have to buy it through a distributor. And in terms of like why they got in trouble, I mean, the FTC is always kind of staying on top of these types of of companies and making sure that they're not making false claims. And so that was the really big thing is they were claiming that the top two sellers, who I think were also the CEO and his wife, they were claiming that you can make all this money, blah, blah, blah. And like, as Emily just said, you've got basically like 99% of people not making any sort of legitimate livable income. And then also just the amount of money that was coming from recruiting versus the amount of money that was coming from selling the products. That was another reason they got in trouble. And I don't know who brought it to the FTC's attention. I'm sure that they just got enough complaints that they finally looked into it. But yeah, so interesting because it was an MLM. It is not an MLM anymore. It is still a company and I still see their products. The last time I ran a half marathon, it was, oh gosh, last October or something. It's been a long time. You go for like the pre-race thing, you pick up your bib and then we walked through where they're selling like shirts and water bottles and whatnot. And there was a whole AdvoCare section I didn't know much about AdvoCare. I only knew that that swimmer tested positive back in 2008. And I thought that they were still an MLM. And my friend, he was all excited. He's tasting all these different drinks. And (laughs) I'm just standing in the back debating in my head, like, do I intervene or do I just (laughs) let this happen? And I was in my mind, I decided I'm not working today. I'm just going to whatever. If he asks, I'm going to say something, but if not, whatever. So we ended up buying some of their like electrolyte drink. And his girlfriend walked up to me and was like, why are you look like what's going on? Why are you looking like this? Like, I don't want to say anything. She goes, did he just waste his money? Like, I mean, I don't want to say that. I was just like, this isn't the best company to buy from. Yeah, same. It's like, am I on the clock right now? Or should (laughs) I just let this slide? Exactly. So that was kind of funny. I guess just getting into like what AdvoCare offers with the products are. So it's essentially now just a bunch of supplements. Um, They have basically two main components. They've got their sports nutrition line, and then they've got their what they call weight management line. And starting with the weight management side of things, I mean... Look, I was like, went onto the website and I was like, all right, I'll like give some examples or like we can go through a couple of these. And I was just going through and I was like, I'm just honestly exhausted. Like, I can't, I can't keep looking at the same <laughs> shit. I can't keep looking at the same every, and I know this isn't an MLM anymore, but it's all the same shit. It's a meal replacement shake. They have this new stuff called Slim. And what, what's in it? Nothing, nothing of any value. It's basically, I looked at it, it's like green coffee bean a- extract in Garcinia Cambogia. Okay. Classic. The two things that Dr. Phil got in trouble for that we have talked about time and time again that don't actually help you lose weight at all. You know, so it's just like a sleeve of powder with that stuff in it. They've got an amino acid dietary supplement. Like, okay. Or you could just eat some protein, you know, like you don't need this. <laughs> 
if this is your very first episode listening to us, I'm sorry. We're not really going to go through all of these because there's just too much. And I'm just, I'm too tired, you know? Maybe one <laughs> day tired. I'll find motivation again to, like, go through nutrition facts. But, like, it's very annoying to just time and time and time again keep just seeing stupid shit like this on these companies. And I will just say overarchingly, you do not need any of this. If weight loss, weight management is your goal, this stuff is not going to help you at all. You know, maybe on like the first couple of days that you try it because you're you're motivated and you're excited and you're not in a horrible calorie deficit yet to the point where you're getting hangry and you're not missing your favorite foods yet because you haven't been going for that long. But give it a week or two and you're going to get to that point and this shit isn't going to do anything. So... It's like an Herbalife. It's like a Beachbody. It's like all of those. They're all the same. They're all selling the same crap that's not doing anything. They don't have any secrets. They don't have any specialty blends. Like, it's all just the same stuff. What's interesting with Advocare is their sports performance line. And like Emily said, I mean, I guess it's good that they're getting it third-party tested. Like, at least we know that it's accurate information on the supplement label. But unfortunately, sometimes when people see that, they think, oh, like green light for me to take. Well, it's like, no, you still need to take a critical eye of is what is in this helpful for like whatever goals I'm trying to accomplish. And should I still be trusting this company? And I'm going to say something right here that I said before recording. Look, it's third party tested. Some of these don't seem that bad. Like they're standard whey protein, like whatever seems fine. There's a couple of products on here that seem okay. I'm still not recommending Advocare and call me biased, call me whatever, close-minded. I'm sorry. If, if an Olympic hopeful didn't get to the, go to the Olympics because of this company, and I know that was in the past and I know it was before third-party tested and I know they're not a pyramid scheme anymore, but I am hard pressed to recommend this company still, even the products that seem okay. So I yes, You're I'm dead bi- to me. Advocare is dead to me. I'm biased. I get it. You know, like some of the stuff probably isn't that bad. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much like the two wings of what they do is the sports and the quote unquote wellness or weight management or what have you. Um but then the question that we specifically got about was this energy drink that's a really expensive multivitamin, basically. <laughs> I don't know. Much. Yes. I don't get it. Much. I don't get it. But Emily, you looked more into this. So yeah. So this is it's called Advocare Spark. It's basically meant to be yeah, like an energy drink. They say it's a powder, mix it with water, take it either pre workout or when you have your like afternoon slump to get you through. Um, and their whole claim, energy for your day, fuel for your workouts, and focus for your goals. Energy, they're probably talking about caffeine. Fuel, mm-hmm. in my mind, is carbs. Like fuel for your workout, that's going to be carbs. So, oh, there's got to be some carbs in this. And then focus for your goals immediately just tells me they're adding some nootropic, like something that has one study behind it saying that it might help you focus or whatever. It is really (laughs) underwhelming. It's pretty much exactly what Marie just said. It's super low in calories, 15 calories, four grams of carbs, which if you're working out, that's going to fuel you for about one minute. Like you're going to burn through that, but it's mostly just vitamins and minerals. What I thought was interesting is this 
supplement does have inositol in it, which is something we talked about in our PCOS episode, because there is a lot of research behind inositol helping with PCOS symptoms. But when you look at the amount, I was just curious. So there's 10 milligrams in Advocare Spark of inositol to treat PCOS. It's taken in the range of 200 to 4,000 milligrams. So this is like, I don't even know what it's doing in here. I couldn't even come up with a reason why they added it. So long story short, it's pretty much what Marie just said early on was it's an expensive multivitamin. There is caffeine. Okay, so there's 120 milligrams of caffeine, which is like a very strong cup of coffee. So you're going to be feeling like you get the stimulant from it. But as for everything else, are they doing, you know, all the vitamins, minerals and B vitamins and the taurine and all of that? Is that doing anything for you? Probably not. And if it is, it's just a minor, minor effect. So instead of spending, I think it was close to $60 for 40 servings. Can we talk about the price of this? Like A lot. Get your caffeine from somewhere else. Yeah. You're probably already, I mean, let's be honest, you're probably already drinking caffeine. If you're willing to take a supplement with caffeine in it, you're probably already drinking caffeine. So you don't need caffeine. And you can take a multivitamin for much cheaper. Or you can, like, I don't know, eat food. Might I suggest, like a fruit before your workout so you can get vitamins and minerals and actual calories and carbohydrates yeah that will fuel your workout yes well do you have anything else on this company oh no i mean big bs stamp like i really i I feel bad i don't feel bad but they are making changes right they're not an mlm anymore they now have third-party tested supplements but that doesn't make me like them anymore you know i'm still not still not a fan it doesn't make the you know 90 percent of their supplements useful you know it's like okay cool what you say is in it is what's actually in it now but it's still bullshit that's yeah. a waste of money <laughs> exactly. yeah exactly all right awesome so now we're going to get into our conversation with liam we think you guys are really going to enjoy it and before we do, also wanted to say if anyone is listening to this and you have a crazy nutrition BS story that you want to share with us, if you want to be on the podcast, we're always looking for new voices. DM us on Instagram or our contact page on our website. All right. Our guest is Liam. He is actually a friend of mine from the San Francisco Bay Area. We've done some run clubs together. And when we put out our bat signal for what are your crazy nutrition stories, Liam came back and had a really awesome one. So I'm really excited for everyone here to meet Liam and hear a little bit about his story. So first and foremost, thank you so much, Liam, for being on our podcast today. And can you just share with everyone a little bit about yourself? Hey, Emily. Hey, Marie. Thanks. I met Emily through the running scene here in the Bay Area through some mutual friends that been running for, I'm, let's see, I'm 37 now and I started running when I was 22 and a half or so. So I've been running for about 14 and a half years now. Started off running basic road races, starting with a 5K, 10K, 
half marathon and then made my way all the way to a marathon in 2010. My first marathon was the Chicago Marathon. That was oh, a, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it if you want a nice flat road marathon. And and then when I moved out to California in 2012, I began reading these stories about ultra running. I discovered this ultra runner, Dean Karnazes, and Scott, also another guy, Scott Jurek. And I started reading their stories, reading about their adventures on the trails and the races they've done and reading their books. And I said, wow, this is awesome, but I don't think I'll ever do this. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> just like running beyond a marathon. I mean, a marathon is hard enough and running a 50K, a 50 miler or a hundred miler, that just sounds off the wall, like just off the charts, especially on mountain trails. And I, so I pretty much said, I don't think I'll ever do that. But then I kept reading these stories and I began hiking on trails in the LA area. And eventually I was like, you know what? I can hike these trails. Why can't I just run them? And I was kind of <laughs> ready for something new anyway. So I, I started running on these trails and I started, I kept reading these stories in these books and I was like, you know what? I'm going to attempt a 50 K and just see how it goes. That was in the summer of 2016. And I just never looked back <laughs> I ran every distance up to a hundred miler. And that was in the summer of 2019. So. Wow. How long did it take you to run a hundred miles? It took me 33 hours. Oh, my God. 33 hours, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was 33 hours, nonstop, straight through the night. I, at one point, I was hallucinating at 3 a.m. from oh. lack of sleep at, like, mile 73. And I was convinced I was going the wrong way. And I was I kind of had a little bit of a meltdown all, out there all by myself in the dark. And I saw headlamps ahead of me, and they were moving away from me. And I was like, okay. I just have to follow those guys and I'll be okay. (laughs) So, yeah, it was pretty wild. I'm excited to get into this because I think you'll have a pretty unique perspective when it comes to crazy nutrition stories because I know that there's a whole culture of nutrition and fueling within ultra running and just running in general. But I do have a quick question for you before we get into that. Have you ever heard of the Barkley Marathon? Oh, absolutely. Would you do that? that? Have you, you signed? Have you tried to sign up for it? I have not tried to sign up for it, and I always say never say never. But at this <laughs> moment in time, I don't think I'll ever attempt it because that race is in a league of its own. I mean, there's there's the hundred miler that I did, which was pretty difficult, but that race is a whole other category of just insanity. I mean, uh, unmarked trails no aid stations except for your car and one one table full of water jugs at like the halfway point of the loop. And it just looks like craziness. So maybe I never say never, right? So maybe at some point, but at this moment, probably not. Hey, you never (laughs) thought you would do a hundred. So that's true. Liam, you and I have talked about this, I think at some point in the past, but Dean Carnassus is another ultra runner. And I saw him present at a conference years ago. And the, it was a nutrition conference. And the thing that stood out to me the most, he said he would all he would carry with him while running is a credit card and his phone. He would call a pizza place tell him, drop off the pizza in a half hour, I should be here. And as he's running, he's like giving the guy his credit card and would take the pizza and roll the whole thing up into a tube and just eat it as he was running. (laughs) And so that was my first 
nutrition like thought about what it takes to fuel an ultra runner. And as a dietitian, you can imagine a lot of times base level, we're just talking about like, what can people eat to be healthy? And then there's sports nutrition, and it's what can people eat to perform the best in their sport? And then there's ultra running, which is just another, <laughs> another level. So yep. this is what brought you to us, Liam. So would you be able to share that with all of our listeners? Because I think they will find it very interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, that whole thing that Dean said about the, you know, that all that is true. He's, he's talked about that in his books and yeah, he literally will tell them not to slice the pizza and he'll (laughs) roll it up into a giant burrito and he'll be eating it as he's running and sauce dripping all over him. And yeah, (laughs) so, but I wanted to share this story because it just, I feel like nutrition, like mainstream nutrition theories would just it goes against all of that like I, I know you guys did like that that recent podcast you guys did on the biggest loser where you were talking about how like Jillian Michaels and like how and the the hell that they put these guys through in terms of nutrition and stuff like that like the people on biggest loser would have like a heart attack when they heard this story so oh man <laughs> yeah I think it's funny to to share so in January of 2020 I decided I wanted to run this ultra marathon. It was in Minnesota in January. So you can imagine. (laughs) So 38 mile ultra marathon in, in Minnesota in January, no aid stations. You carry all of your stuff on a sled behind you and it's through the night. It started at 6 PM. Oh Wait, what do you mean you carry a sled behind you? (laughs) Is there so much snow that it just it's connected to you and you pull it behind you as you're running? Yeah, exactly. So the, <laughs> the race was in rural Minnesota in a town called Hinkley. And it, it's the whole race was on snowmobile trails. I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I, I realize this is a nutrition podcast and a nutrition story, but I'm really stuck on the sled thing. Why, oh, are, all good. why are you pulling a sled? <laughs> so, yeah, my sled. So I'm, I'm pulling. So I was pulling one of these plastic sleds that you, know, you sled on as a kid and it had a sleeping bag, all the food I was going to eat during the run, all my hydration, a bivy sack, just everything I was going to need, a sleeping pad. And it, we were required to carry these items, a, a camping stove, just everything I need to the camping camping stove is to potentially melt snow for drinking water. And yeah, it was, that was part of the deal. You just had to carry everything you needed. So there was no like aid stations is what I'm hearing. No aid stations, just one checkpoint where they just make sure you're okay. You're you're alive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Make sure you're alive and you're not like, you know, you don't have frostbite or anything like that. So yeah. And so I, I decided to sign up for this race because it looked really awesome. And so I, a couple of months out, I pinged one of my buddies who lives in Chicago who had done the race the year before. And one of the things I asked him was, what kind of food did you bring? And when he responded and told me what he brought and what he suggested, I, I, I thought he was joking. And so I have the message right here. I'll pull it up. Good food is anything that is calorie dense and doesn't freeze. Reese's peanut butter cups, Kit Kat bars, and Nutty Buddies. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, dude. Are you telling me that you ran 38 miles through a Minnesota winter night 
where the temperature was below zero and you ate freaking candy the whole time. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I was, I, I was just like, dude, seriously. <laughs> you know? like, and, and by that time I had already been running ultras for a few years and I knew that, you know, like the crazy shit that ultra runners eat and what they do during races, but that kind of took it to a new level. I was like, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so yeah, I, I was like, okay, I guess I'm, you know, I, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because you're not only you're burning a ton of calories while you're doing a 38 mile run, but also when the temperature is below zero, your body's just trying to stay warm. So of course you're burning a ton of calories, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I, just a quick tangent that reminds me of something we've talked about in the past where people are all like excited about eating nothing but butter and how like Marie, <laughs> maybe you'll remember this. Some guy was saying how, Oh, in the Arctic, all they do is eat butter and look how healthy they are. Yeah. And it reminds me, I think that's what we need to like have a big disclaimer here. Like it definitely matters what you're doing and what situation you're in to encourage eating nothing but butter or eating nothing but Kit Kats and Reese's. Like it makes perfect sense for an ultra runner. But with this logic that people sometimes do like, well, eating butter for him was healthy. So I'll do it too. It would be the same for someone to be like, oh yeah, I wake up and just eat Reese's peanut butter cups all day. It's like, well, did you run an ultra marathon? You know, in, like in the they're winter. in the winter, right? In my mind, I did. Exactly. <laughs> so it's very dependent on what you're doing. That was Mark Hyman saying that uh, he ha- he knew a friend who was um, traversing the Arctic with nothing but like, yeah, a sled. And like, he's basically like cross country skiing the Arctic or some shit like that. And he was like, all he ate was butter. And so saturated fat is good for you. Yeah. And so he's like, so here in the US, I yeah. start every morning <laughs> eating butter. butter. Like, oh okay, to sit at your desk job. Yeah. All right. But yeah. oh, Marie, was that the guy that you just mentioned? Was that Colin O'Brady? It's possible. Yeah. I don't remember who he was talking about. Okay. Yeah, because that guy traversed across Antarctica with a sled full of all this stuff on there. So I'm gonna um, guess there's probably not too many people doing that. So yes, yeah. it's probably him. No. That sounds yeah, that sounds kind of fun actually. But deep down, even though I was a little apprehensive and dubious, I was a, a little part of me was really excited because I do have a sweet tooth and I was like, Whoa wow, here's an excuse to just eat candy and cookies for like ten hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I, and so I, I said, okay, cool. Thanks for the pointers there. I was shopping for items I needed to take on this run. And so I thought like, you know what, this is my first go at something like this. Maybe it's, I don't know if I want to just rely on like freaking candy the whole time. So, so I said, I was looking around and I saw, you know how Chips Ahoy has the soft chocolate chip cookies and they come in like the the red packaging where it's like that long rectangular package with the plastic tray on the inside. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I grabbed a family size container of those. I, I think it's like 30, 30 cookies, 1700 calories in total. And I finished the whole freaking thing. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, the whole thing. And that was all I ate the entire time. I was running. It was, I found out from one of the volunteers at the checkpoint that the temperature was seven below zero. 
And so I, so I would, I had these cookies and I would, I would stop to get, to get some cookies out. But if I stood still for any more than a couple of minutes, I would just get too cold. So I had to keep moving. So ultimately I just said, you know what? Okay, this is happening. And so I grabbed like 10 cookies out of there and just stuffed them all in my pockets. (laughs) And like I'm running with like my pockets full of chocolate chip cookies and just, you know, eating them as I'm going, just like Dean does with his pizza. And, you know, and so, but yeah, I, it was all I ate the entire time. I finished the race in 10 and a half hours, completely powered by chocolate chip cookies. Nice. <laughs> yeah, good times. I love how through your story, you said you started running 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, and worked your way up. What have you learned about nutrition since? you began this journey going from, you know, running the shorter distances all the way up to running ultras. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot about the nutrition that we follow as runners based on if you run the quote unquote shorter distances, like a marathon, I mean, marathon isn't short (laughs) compared to a hundred mile or it's short. But if you take road runners and the ultra running scene, those two different worlds, what I've learned about the nutrition transitioning into the ultra scene is, first of all, nothing is off limits. I've seen ultra runners eat so many things, just anything and everything. You guys also had an episode where you talked about that documentary, The Game Changers. And one of the guys featured in The Game Changers was Scott Jurek, ultra runner, one of the guys that got me into ultra running based on his book and his stories. And and he's a vegan ultra runner. He follows a vegan diet, but then there's also guys who will eat cinnamon toast crunch and jelly beans and hamburgers and tacos. And it's, there's literally nothing is off limits. And I've learned that when I was first learning about the ultra scene and I thought about everything I knew about running and nutrition, I thought to myself, man, these guys have to be super fit to run these long distances on mountain trails, especially. So they must like, I mean, they must be eating like sawdust. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and so when I read like, oh yeah, like, you know, like Dean Carnazes eating his pizza and his huge cheesecake and stuff like that while he's running. And then other guys like, I just like, oh man, at first it threw me off. I was like, wow, this is completely goes against everything I knew about running and nutrition. But then I realized, well, if you're out there for a long time, you know, you're out there all day, sometimes all night running, your body taps into reserves that that road races don't tap into. It don't cause your body to tap into. So I realized you can't just always eat healthy foods because healthy foods aren't as calorie dense and you have to, you could, you'll get super bloated if you try to get enough calories through healthy foods. So now I understand why ultra runners in ultra marathons, they have aid stations just like they do in marathons and half marathons, but they have food there. Like they have chips and M&Ms and cookies and sandwiches and stuff like that. And I think that that's just huge to show, you know, like the whole point of this podcast is, I mean, obviously there's certain topics that we just try and, bust myths on but there's no one bad food right like even a food that we would generally not recommend for most people to eat most of the time it's like yeah within the context of an ultra marathon or an ultra run 
Of course. Like, if you want to smash a whole large pepperoni pizza while you're running, like, I feel like the only limiting factor in that situation is, like, do you want to hold the whole thing, like, for as long as it takes you to eat it? But, like, yeah, and I think that that's so important because all these people out here wanting to demonize an ingredient or a food dye or gluten or whatever, whatever, it's like your body can and should metabolize stuff that it needs to within the context of certain situations. So it's an interesting story because I'm sure most people see ultra marathon runners and are like, oh, they're that, you know, they've got to be eating salads and, you know, lean chicken breasts, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, you're just like shoving Kit Kats down your throat, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it, it really just kind of goes against everything that they say, it, that they tell runners about nutrition, like roadrunners. Because when I was strictly a roadrunner before I dabbled into ultras, I, I was on race morning, I would I would probably just eat maybe a, a, a bagel or a piece, a couple pieces of bread, something really straightforward. But now on race mornings for ultras, I'll eat, I'll eat like Rice Krispies treats and pop tarts. <laughs> and, and what, yeah, one particular ultra I was, when I was driving to the start line at like four thirty in the morning, I ate leftover pizza from the night before as I was <laughs> driving to the start line. So I've heard of people like, uh, I've seen people like having pancake breakfasts before ultras, you know, and I thought like, wow, I don't know if I could have a pancake breakfast. That's pretty heavy, but you know, maybe I'll give it a shot sometime. It might help. <laughs> yeah. You should eat a pancake breakfast and then do the Barkley marathon and let us know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Laz would get a kick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> he would see you eating it and then he would purposefully not start the race for like 12 more hours. Right. I'm going to screw this like, guy over. <laughs> <laughs> or he would be like, oh, I'm going to wait until you're like halfway through eating your pancakes and then I'm going to blow the conch yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and light my cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Just if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, there's this r- race in Tennessee called the Barkley Marathon. It is five marathons back to back and it's a loop, like a marathon loop. Uh, and you do it forwards, backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards. You have three days to complete it. It's an unmarked trail. You have to find certain checkpoints and like pull a page out of a book that he has hidden. Yeah, it's this like super wild s- situation. It's like low key unsanctioned. You like show up and have to give him like a license plate or something. Like <laughs> it's like a one dollar yeah. entry free oh my fee. Gosh. Yeah, it's like. But anyways, the. There's a 24-hour window in which the race can start, and they don't tell you when it is, and then all of a sudden the whistle just blows. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, it's it's pretty much, I would say, it's like the one of the lowest forms of psychological and physical torture you can get. <laughs> yeah, There's a really good documentary on it, I think on Amazon Prime, if people are interested in watching. All right. As you know, being a loyal listener, thank you so much. We do our shit at the grocery store segment, so we will pass it on to you today. Um, Is there anything that you see consistently in the grocery store? Maybe it's related to running. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something you see being marketed as like healthy or something that you just think is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I I see stuff that at the grocery store from time to time, but it's also at stores that cater more to runners, like running stores and outdoor stores and stuff like that. But there's there's a lot of brands out there that really like to sell the whole the whole protein thing on you because 
there's like this belief that runners need protein more than anything. And, you know, it's like you guys talked about in that Game Changers episode. It's like, you know, yeah, I mean, protein's good, but it's you can get it from a lot of sources. It doesn't have to be from these energy bars that you're that that you find in the running stores, because in my early days, I, I've, I've seen those and I bought them and tried them out. And I made the mistake of having one like halfway through a marathon one time and it just, just tasted awful. <laughs> like, and, and so I was like, I'm already, I'm already trying to focus on getting through, getting through a marathon and trying to just make sure that I don't cramp up and all that stuff. And now I have this awful taste in my mouth because of this, like this awful energy protein bar. Like they sell you on how much it's going to help you, but they don't, take into account like oh you have but you have to eat this whole thing and it tastes awful like it tastes like shit (laughs) right i eat the typical like ultra marathon diet during races like you know chips and cookies and m&ms and pb and j sandwiches but uh you know i i in in my everyday life i i typically don't go for energy bar energy bars or stuff like that i generally avoid the energy bars that you find in stores where it's like this many grams of protein and look at all these really fit guys on the wrappers. Yes. You were not feeling like one of those fit guys when eating it in the middle of your marathon and just feeling awful. Cause it tasted so bad. Oh no, yeah. Maybe no. if I like dunk it in chocolate or something. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I feel like you're so right with that kind of stuff because it's like, you know, a lot of them say that they're targeted towards runners or whatever, or like for that purpose. But I feel like they're really targeted towards either super amateurs in that sport or people who want to be as fit as a certain sport, but not actually, actually the people who do it because yeah you're like well now that i actually run ultra races like i would never bust out a protein bar but it's like the joe schmo walking down the aisle he's like oh well i guess runners eat that thing so because there's a (laughs) runner on it so like i'm gonna grab that yeah you know it's interesting because if you look at the top performing athletes in ultra running like i said they said yeah i eat like cinnamon toast crunch (laughs) and nachos and part of the reason why i feel like in the more mainstream areas of running, like like marathons and road running, there's more. These people are a little more high profile, and there's they're being looked at and held to a certain standard. Like oh, like oh, these people can't catch me eating a donut, otherwise they'll give me bad publicity. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but then like with ultra running, it's not quite as mainstream, and I think they're just more free spirited. So they were just like, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to eat what I want, and I'm going to be open about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I also get this. I mean, just from what you've shared about within the ultra running community, that different ways of eating work for different people, even in such a niche community. So there's vegan ultra runners and vegetarian ultra runners and all yeah. sorts of different ways of eating in order to do this amazing thing, which is, you know, run a hundred miles or 38 miles, whatever it is. So it just continues to tell our story that we try to share with people that each person, no matter who you are, even if you're an ultra runner, like there are different ways of eating that work best for different people. Everybody has something that works for them. I mean, it's like you guys were saying in that prior episode on Game Changers, like, look, we're not knocking a vegan diet if you're an athlete. Like, if it works for you, by all means, you do you. But, you know, if you if you are a vegan athlete and you see somebody eating a cheeseburger during an ultra or, you know, something like that, it's like, you know, 
that works for them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better than you or they're faster than you. It just different things work for different people. Right. A hundred percent. We love it. I love it too. It's, it's so, it's so fun to talk about this kind of stuff because I feel like ultra running nutrition is kind of almost like a hidden underground world that a lot of people, especially runners aren't quite familiar with. That's a totally, totally different world that most people would never even come close to experiencing. Oh yeah. And it's also like kind of funny. Cause like I've, I've eaten food during ultras at the aid stations. I've like dropped it in the dirt and picked it up and eaten it. Anyway. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, at that point you don't care. Well, at that point you're like, you said you were hallucinating and you're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eating pop tarts and having them like, having chunks of Pop-Tarts like fall out of my mouth because I'm trying to breathe because I'm at high altitude. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. God. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Well, Liam, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. It was so fun. Absolutely. This has been so much fun. Thank you guys so much for having me come on here. Super cool. Yeah, you're so welcome. All right. Well, we hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Liam. Yeah. So again, if anyone has a crazy nutrition story that you want to share with us, let us know. And we want to keep hearing your thoughts, questions, comments, and suggestions on topics. So keep sending us those as well. And until next time, I'm Emily. And I'm Marie. And don't let the BS get the best of you.